So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and faith and a knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth and love, we'll grow to become in every respect mature. Okay, I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm not going to exegete this passage, which means I'm not going to talk about the culture and context behind it, really. What I'm just going to do is I'm going to talk to you about like how I feel like the Spirit is moving in this passage for me the past couple of weeks. And in order to do that, I've got to tell you a story. I need to tell you a story about when my friend's mom passed away when I was 14. Okay? She passed away, and it was this really profound life event because it was the first person uh, I, that was, I was close to who passed away. And she passed away of cancer, and, and she was also the pastor's wife at our church. And so she held like, a, a very important role, obviously. And so our church made like, uh, T-shirts and hats that said, I believe in miracles, and we sold those to raise money for their, their health care. Uh, we prayed, we rallied, but cancer is despicable, and we all know this. And so because of that, uh, she passed. And um, I remember waking up in, in the morning. It was a Saturday morning, and my mom was there, and she had her Bible open, and my mom read Revelation where the angels in heaven are all saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And my mom said, Miss Sharon is there singing that with them right now. She passed away. And I remember it being like this really pivotal moment in my life. Um, it felt profound, like, you know, I, the first time somebody dies, right, that, that we are close with. And um, I went to the wake a couple days later, not the wake, my friend was there, and he's the same age as me, so we're both 14. And I said, you know, how are you doing? And I remember he just said, how do you think I'm doing? And, and he was crying, right, of course, you know. And two distinct thoughts that I will never forget crossed my mind at that point. And number one was, wow, this is profound and it's life-changing, and this is a weight that is heavy. It's heavy to bear the weight of someone who is going through this kind of grief. That was thought number one. And then the second thought I had was this thought that, like, thank God that there is a church community that can give the generous gift of grief to others or to take care of others in the midst of their grief. So on one hand, I was like, this is life-changing, profound, heavy on me. And on the other hand, I looked around at, at the church community. I said, thank you to this church community that they're able to give the generous gift to this family going through this at this time. That was a big deal for me. And I say that all because last week, I woke up and I picked up my phone. How many people wake up and pick up their phones? Can we all make an agreement to stop doing that? <laughs> Let's all stop doing that. But I did it. And uh, as I did that, I jumped on social media where an acquaintance's sister's daughter passed away. That was really sad for me to see, even though I've never met my acquaintance's sister's daughter or my acquaintance's sister for that matter. Anytime a child passes away, there's something incredibly sad about that. And so immediately I woke up feeling that weight, right? Oh my gosh, this is awful. And, and I kept scrolling through. And as I scrolled through, somebody else was like, hey, you probably haven't seen me on social media in a while, and you haven't because I'm, I'm getting a divorce and I need a time to myself. Now this person, I met them one time at a conference in North Carolina in 2014, right? In fact, I didn't even know they weren't on social. Like, you know, it's like one of those people that you add, right? And then you kind of don't know that they're there, you forget. And nonetheless, I was like, you know, this is something they're going through. Oh, my goodness. So they're getting divorced. Okay, like, this is awful. Open up my email, and I get the New York Times Daily email. How many people get that? Right. And that just made me mad. <laughs> because America. <laughs> and so, so I was just mad. And, and um, 
I get the kids ready, or the kids are getting themselves ready, and I'm getting myself ready. And I take my youngest daughter to school, and we're walking, and it's 8.30 in the morning, and I have this conscious thought, and my conscious thought is, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted. And I was like, why am I, have, why am I exhausted? I'm like, I'm exhausted because I woke up this morning, and I bared the weight of an acquaintance of sisters who I never met, and then I bared the weight of somebody else who I met one time that I'm friends with, and then I have access to all this information that, frankly, is really, really difficult to deal with, and I'm emotionally exhausted. And I started thinking, you know, we are not meant, we are not biologically evolved enough at this point in humanity to deal with the global community that we now have. We're not biologically evolved enough to deal with the thousands, maybe even millions of people that come into our lives or out of our lives or the information that we get. And what it's doing is, is it's, it's exhausting us. We are exhausted. And I thought about my friend's mom passing away. And I thought about how in that little community it was hard enough to bear that weight, right? In my little community where we were all invested. And now I'm bearing the weight of literally thousands, if not millions. Does anybody else feel that? Does anybody else feel that exhaustion? Does anybody else feel that weight? Like whether we realize it or not, we're feeling it, right? Because, because when we have a community that is now thousands, even millions, instead of just our community over here that we're meant uh, to work with, um, what ends up happening is that it messes with all parts of our life. In fact, uh, back when I was younger, it was, uh, uh, I was in a place where maybe one or two families uh, that I knew looked like they had their acts together, right? And it looked like they knew what they were doing, and I wanted to strive to be like those one or two families. And now there are literally thousands of families who are blogging, who are on YouTube, who are whatever, who seemingly have their acts together. And in my mind, whether I believe it or not, I, I start to feel a little inferior to them, right? And I'm like, hmm, I'm comparing myself to the, like, literally the thousands of people that I now have information. I feel inferior. I'm a bad parent. Where are my parents in the room? Where are you? Only a couple of you. Here's what I'm going to say. Y'all, we are all going to mess up our kids, right? <laughs> Every single one of us. And the fact is, we've all been messed up by our parents. That's just the truth of the matter. And if you don't believe that, you're just not self-aware yet. But that's, that's, that's happening, right? We're, we're all in some way. And so the thing is, there's a little bit of grace in the fact that we don't have it together all the time. A little bit of grace in that. But we don't feel that grace. We don't feel it at all. What instead we feel is, I must now make sure I'm doing these things that these thousands of people in this community that I'm not made to bear are doing. And if I don't, then I must be failing on some level. That's how we feel. Maybe it's not about being parents. Maybe some 27-year-old just sold their company for a billion dollars. And you're like, I have four roommates. <laughs> you're like, that's what you're like. You're like, I'm eating ramen today because yesterday I spent 16 bucks on a vodka and soda. And I don't have any money for the rest of the week. So I'm eating ramen. And what am I doing? And you know what, what narrative we, we tell ourselves when we, we actually have the information and access to the thousands, if not millions. We're telling ourselves that we're not doing enough, that we're lazy. How many people is maybe the worst insult we could feel right, uh, hear right now is that we're lazy. We're not doing enough. That's for me. Like, if you tell me I'm lazy, I'm going to go cry. Legit. <laughs> like, legit. And, and that's what we think. Well, I'm not hustling enough. I'm not doing enough. I, I need to add more. I need to do more. I need to make sure that, that I get to that place, too. And so we're not, uh, we're not emotionally, uh, biologically evolved enough to hear the stories of literally thousands and millions. It's hard enough bearing burdens with one another in our small community, right? And yet we continue to do that every day. We're exhausted. Plus, we live in an exhausting city, don't we? 
I, I tell you this story, and I tell you this story in such a way where I recognize my privilege in this story. Okay? So I just have to say that up front. But I'm on a really crowded train. I was on a really crowded train on Monday. And on this really crowded train on Monday, there was someone who was not well. Uh, they were uh, uh, not in a good place. And they were older. And they were homeless. I believe they were homeless. And, um, and uh, they were not a threat. I should say that they were not a threat. Right? And I was super crowded. So I'm like this, and this person's right next to me. And then this person starts calling me names. And so I'm just like, OK, they're just calling me names. And then they're like, I'm going to stab you. That's what they say. And now, as a white man, right? talking to somebody who's obviously not well, in their 70s, somebody that, like, whatever, I have the privilege of not having to be threatened by that, right? And I get that. But what I did was weird, because what I did is I just chalked it up to living in New York. I didn't even move. I was like, oh, New York, where the homeless people say they're going to stab you. And, like, I sort of, like, moved on. And, like, I was just like, well, that's, but that's a thing. Like, somebody said that to me. And if somebody said to us that to us anywhere else in this world, that would be uh, an issue. But here, we're like, oh, okay. All right. I'm going to go get coffee now, right? Like, that's what we do. And we don't realize the toll that's taking on us, right? It's actually, we're, we're carrying the emotion of that person, too. When our, when our family and friends come and visit, visit, and they, at the end of the day, they go, I'm exhausted. How do you do this? And you're like, do what? And they're like, how do you walk around all day and deal with crowds and deal with the noise? Like, I'm exhausted. And you know what we do? We say, well, we just do it. And we say that, but in our heads, we're thinking, you are weak and we are strong. <laughs> right? That's what we're thinking. But then I wonder, is that a good thing? <laughs> I don't think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, oh, I could go on and on. Anyway, my point is this. My point is this. We are not evolved enough. We're not biologically evolved in, in such a way where we can actually handle and carry the weight of the thousands, maybe even millions, that we now have access to, really, in the past 20 years. What we are made to do is we are made to be in small community where even bearing the weight of one death or one issue or one challenge or whatever is enough. And then we sit there and we wonder why we're at our wit's end. We wonder why we're divided. We wonder why we like, feel like we're being tossed by waves, right? We wonder why we feel like we're moving backward and forward, why we're not mature, why we're not transforming. I would say the reason, one of the reasons our country is so divided right now is because all of us are being tossed back and forth, and we're just looking for something to grab onto and tether ourselves to, right? And so we've lost the idea of a gray area. Now it's just fundamentalism on both sides, because that seems to be where the tethers are, right? And so we just hold on for dear life and hope that we can make it, and we're slowly killing ourselves. Slowly but surely. Now, before I get into like an old man get off my lawn kind of message, what this feels like with the advent of the internet and everything, the truth is we're going to have this for the rest of our lives, and there's so much good that comes from it. But it's exhausting for us. And not only is it exhausting for people like me, I haven't even talked about the fact that there are people there who are even more exhausted because systems oppress you based on your identity, based on your ethnicity, based on your socioeconomic status, and that creates even more exhaustion. And we have to recognize that as well. That's happening right now to people in this room. So when I look at this passage that I read at the beginning about being mature Christians, um, I'm not going to exegete it properly. Because if I was going to exegete it properly, I'd tell you all about how people in Ephesus at the time were trying to merge the worship of the goddess Artemis with Jesus Christ, and it just wasn't working. And so the writer of Ephesians is like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> but instead, when I read this passage, I was like, 
I feel like I'm being pushed and pulled. I feel like I'm just emotionally spent and done. Why? I feel like I need to rest. I feel like I need to do something here. Otherwise, I'm not going to be transformed. And we're in that transform series right now. We're talking about what it means to be mature. We're talking about what it means to live out the fullness of our humanity. And so I want to challenge us to live out the fullness of humanity today. And the way I'm going to ask us to do that is by following the Ten Commandments. Y'all good with that? Not really. It's okay. Ten Commandments are misunderstood. They really are. Uh, The context of the Ten Commandments matters, right? So the Israelites are enslaved. They're enslaved. And what happens when a people are enslaved? When a people are enslaved, there's two things. Obviously, a loss of freedom. But the second thing is a loss of humanity. Second thing is that we, we consider those, the powerful consider those who are powerless as subhuman. Right? And so the enslaved are, uh, suffer a loss of humanity. So when God brings Israel out of Egypt and says, you are no longer enslaved, you are a free people. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a few rules that are not arbitrary. I want to give you a few, a few rules that keep you free that keep you living in the fullness of humanity. When you were enslaved, you didn't get to do that. These rules are going to keep you in a place of freedom, in a place where you're going to have the fullness of humanity. And so God says, don't murder. Like, murder literally takes someone's humanity from them, right? That, that's, that doesn't make a free people. That makes a scared people, right? So don't do that. And then, you know, God says, don't commit adultery, right? Don't commit adultery, because adultery is, is taking the humanity away from the victim of that, of that relationship, right? There's a sense in which you see that person as less than human because you don't value them enough to actually talk about what's going on relationship-wise, whatever it might be, right? And then God says this other thing. God says, and I also want you to rest. I also want you to take a Sabbath, because when you were enslaved, you didn't get a chance to do that. In fact, you were considered subhuman, and so you never rested. And if you're going to be fully human and fully free, then part of what I'm asking you to do is to stop. And that's the one we never want to pay attention to. That's the one. Now, if you went to the retreat last year, how many people went to the retreat last year? Then you heard me use this analogy, and y'all, you should come to the retreat this year when we have it. Um, because it's a good thing. But I said this to the people at the retreat, and I'm going to say it to you all. We don't respect rest, and I'll tell you why we don't respect it. Because if we were to have a conversation after church, we were to go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you? And they said, I'm good. Killed a couple people this week. (laughs) We would have a big problem with that, right? That would be messed up. It would be really messed up. We'd be like, all right, we need to call the police. Like, I love you, but listen, this is, you took somebody's humanity away, right? Or what if you went up to your friend after church today and they said to you, I'm good, cheating on my significant other. Uh, And you go, okay, yeah, without their consent and everything, just cheating on him. And you would go, well, you obviously have a major issue right now. Like, we need to help you figure this out. We need to solve this. This is a problem. You're taking the humanity away from your significant other and yourself. We would say that. But I promise you that after church, today, you're going to go up to somebody and you're going to say, how are you? And they're going to say, I'm super busy. I'm incredibly busy and I haven't had time to stop. And you're going to say, me too. I'm also incredibly busy and haven't had time to stop. And then you're both going to add more things to your plate. (laughs) That's the bottom line. The Ten Commandments are given to us so that we can live out the fullness of humanity, so that we can be free. And some of them are no-brainers. We follow them no reason. And other ones we dismiss because they go against our culture. When our culture tells us that we should be able to bear the weight of thousands, if not millions, it's time for us to say, if we're going to live freely, maturely, and be transformed in Christ, it's time to take a step back. It's time to stop. 
it's time to rest. Way easier said than done. So practically speaking, church, how are we going to do this for one another? Well, the WWJD bracelets are real. What would Jesus do? Because Jesus tells us. <laughs> and I love what Jesus does. I love it. You can just Google this. Google it. There's a thousand verses that, that, that back this up. Um, no, there's not. There's like 12. But regardless, <laughs> Google it. And what you'll find is that every time Jesus gets really close to just becoming a rock star, every time Jesus feeds the 5,000, every time crowds are following him, every time he heals somebody, every single time, what Jesus does is Jesus stops and Jesus goes away. Jesus retreats. He goes by himself. He rests. What do we do when we're on the cusp of really important, big things happening in our lives? What do we do? We add. Right? Church is going well, add another service. Business is going well, add another location. Uh, I have a lot of clients, great. It means I'm going to have a lot more. When things start to go really well for us, what we do is we go, I got to capitalize this and I need to add to this thing. I need to make it bigger. I need to get myself in gear where I am going to be able to take on the weight of the thousands, if not millions. That's what I need to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what life tells me to do. That's what the city tells me to do. And Jesus says, if you want to be mature, if you want to be transformed, do the exact opposite. Go away, retreat, get quiet. We don't want to. I was talking to two friends about their guilty pleasures. Y'all got some guilty pleasures? <laughs> guilty pleasures. Whew. So they used to be like, oh, my guilty pleasure is hey, I eat a tub of ice cream, right? And I get that. It's delicious, but it's not good for you, right? It's a guilty pleasure. You do it every so often. You know, someone else will say, my guilty pleasure is like going to a casino. Great. It's fun for a day, but if we did it every day, that'd be an issue, right? It's a guilty pleasure. You know what my two friends said their guilty pleasures were? Are you ready for this? My, two friend, my one friend said, my guilty pleasure is taking the long way home from the subway before I have to go home to my family so I get five extra minutes by myself. Where are my parents? Do we feel that? Do we feel that? Do we feel it? That is not a guilty pleasure. That is taking care of yourself. That's what that is. My other friend was like, well, I make sure that I don't answer my email after 9. I just sit down and watch some bad TV. And I'm like, none of us should be working till 9. None of us should be having to e answer emails after 9. And yet, I do it. And we call it a guilty pleasure. Why do we call it a guilty pleasure? Because we are told that well, the next big thing may happen. The next thing that we need to take care of is right on the cusp or right on the horizon. And if we don't check our emails after nine, we're lazy. We're doing the wrong thing. Those are not guilty pleasures. Those are the very things God is asking us to do to become more transformed, to become more mature. And yet we started calling them guilty. Let's change that. Let's receive retreat. Let's receive it. We don't want to receive retreat either, do we? Whenever we receive retreat, you know what we do? We make excuses or we make caveats around it. My family, every year we go to Europe. And, uh, and we go and we take two weeks. And every year I feel really guilty about doing it. Every year. So when people go, how was your trip? I go, it was good. But yeah, I know it's in Europe, but listen, I had to save up a ton of money to get there. And when I was there, I brought my computer so that I can keep in contact with some people at church so I can make sure church would go okay, right? And people are like, oh, that's good, right? No, it's not. That's not good. We need to learn how to receive retreat. Why? Ooh, let's stop apologizing for the fact that we're taking time away. Let's stop apologizing for the fact that we're taking time off. Let's stop apologizing for that. Take retreat. How many people feel like right now they're at peace? They have some retreat in their lives. They feel like they have a little bit of space. To our people with space, there was three of you that raised your hand. 
We're not made to bear the burden of thousands, if not millions. We are made to bear the burdens of one another in this room. So as we bear the burdens of one another in this room, I challenge us to say, who are the people that are tired? I was saying this first service, you know, my wife and I, Juby and I, when we're tired and we need a day to ourselves, the thing we love about this church and the thing that helps about standing up here as the pastor is that there are 12 to 15 people that are ready to help us right away. But what if those same 12 or 15 people were here to help others in need, right? Are you one of those 12 to 15 people who could help someone else in need? Don't stop helping us. But yeah, <laughs> can you do that? <clears throat> that allows for retreat to happen. That's what happens. Retreat. Make time for retreat. Secondly, we need to reframe the story. We need to reframe the narrative. We need to reframe the competitive voices. So the voices that tell us that we are bad parents, the voices that tell us we're lazy, when we start to listen to the voice, what that does is that puts us in a mode of reaction. Okay? So when we hear that, when we, when we tell ourselves that we're lazy, that we're not hustling, that we're bad parents, that whatever it is, a bad sibling, bad coworker, now we're reacting to that. And we don't make good decisions when we react. We simply do not. When we react, we're basically playing whack-a-mole. That's what we're doing. All right, I'm going to hit this here. I'm going to hit this here. I'm going to hit this here because i got to fix it all. i got to fix it all. i got to get it done. Reframe the competitive voices. Instead of saying you're a bad parent, bad coworker, bad friend, bad whatever, what if we started saying, I'm learning. I'm learning how to be better at this. Because even in reframing the competitive voice, it stops us from reacting. When we say we are learning, now our nose is no longer to the grindstone. Now we look up and we stop and we say, well, what does it mean to learn how to be better at all the things I just mentioned? Or I can be deliberate about being better. And no, I'm not being lazy. I'm taking time to deliberately learn how to improve on this thing. It's a change of narrative. And it's a change of narrative that makes a ton of difference in our lives. When we reframe the competitive voice, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to move from reaction to being proactive. I'm going to move from looking down to looking up and taking a beat. That's what I'm going to do. Reframe the competitive voice. How do we become mature? How do we become transformed? We follow Jesus. We retreat when retreat time is needed. Reframe that competitive voice. And lastly, contemplation. How many people know contemplation? Y'all know it? Contemplation shoes. Hey, how many people are left? I'm not a good pray out loud person. Anybody else? Praying out loud is tough. True? Um, and I'm the pastor, so I feel like really guilty that I'm a bad pray out louder. <laughs> but, um, but here's the thing. Contemplation is huge in my life. It's the way that I pray. And so I have this app on my phone. It's called Centering Prayer. And what I do is I give myself about six minutes every day. And I sit. And I'm quiet. And I contemplate. And frankly speaking, I was contemplating over this passage and thought about this idea of us not being biologically evolved enough to handle the thousands and millions. And because I was able to be quiet, I was able to hear the Spirit at work a little bit more. And how often are we quiet that we can hear the Spirit of the Lord at work in our lives? Are we quiet enough to hear that happen? Can we make time to be quiet enough to hear that happen? As we end today... I want to give us time to be quiet. I want to give us time to contemplate. So what I'm going to ask you to do is this. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to resist the urge to fall asleep. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you 
What ways are, do you feel like you're being tossed back and forth by the waves? What way do you feel like you're being blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness and people and deceitful, deceitful scheming? What way is that happening to you? Where are you refusing retreat? Where are you overwhelmed? Where are you exhausted? Today, the good news is that you have the option to give and receive generously in this small space. The good news is that, is that you have the opportunity to retreat, to reframe, to find rest. It's part of what makes you free. It's part of what makes you human. It's okay if you don't keep up. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It's okay if you can't carry the burdens of many. You are not made for that. Today, the good news is that you are made to rest and to delight and to be transformed into the fullness of humanity. Amen.